Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watched a Thing. I'm Billy. Hi, Billy. <laughs> How are you, Toph? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, that's good. How are you? I'm very, very good. Glad to hear it. Yes, because what did we watch this week? This week we watched Spike Lee's new film, Black Klansman. Yes, we did. Based on a book that you have taken in. That's right, I've read it. <laughs> All right, for everyone listening out there, the reason Topher is giving me side eye is because he doesn't believe that to listen to an audiobook means that you have read it. That's true. It means <laughs> you listen to it. <laughs> Which I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, why don't you say you listen to it? Because it's the same thing. I've it's ta- not the same thing. I've taken in the information. That, and that's- I'm not arguing with that. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not aware of what happened in the book. <laughs> I'm just saying that- Okay, fine. You listen to it. I've, li- I've listened to the book. Was it good? It was, it was very good. It's one of those books, though, that you're actually not sure why it's good. Like, not a lot really happens in it. It's a, it's a- All in all, it's actually kind of a dull story. But- there is something about, especially the audiobook, it's it's read by the author, so it really is a memoir, and something about that just really fascinates. So, we'll get into, obviously, so that this is very, very loosely based on the book, I'll say that. There are, there are things that are based in fact, and there are a lot of things that are just straight up fictionalized, yeah. but- yeah, the the book is very good, even though it's kind of dull, and I think it's worth reading. So the film- Or listening to? Or, li- or listening to, you dickhead. <laughs> so the film Black Klansman, directed by Spike Lee, written by, get this, four people. Oh, we normally love script by committee. So this was written by Charlie Wechtel, David Rabinovitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee, and it's based on, as we said, the 2014 book Black Klansman by Ron Stallworth. It stars John David Washington, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, and Topher Grace. It premiered at Cannes Film Festival. It was up for Palm Door. Didn't win it, but it did get the Grand Prix. And it was released uh, on the one-year anniversary of the Charlottesville Rally. So, John David Washington, our lead in this film, mm-hmm. doesn't look a ton like his old man. But every once in a while, a word, just like maybe a single word comes out in a line where you're like, oh, yeah, you're Denzel's kid. Holy crap. I had no idea he was Denzel's kid until you said that just then. Yeah. I didn't know that. He was great in this film, though. He's good, yeah. I mean, the acting all around is superb. Oh, props to the cast. Yeah. Cast is- I mean, look, I'm just going to come out here and say it now. There's no point holding this back. Cast is great. Script is great. Direction is great. This is so far my favourite film of the year. I'm totally into it. Yeah. It's a very, very, very good film. Hooray! Yes! We're not. <laughs> it's not The Meg. It's not The Meg. It's so much better than The Meg. <laughs> Um, So, with the cast, another another thing with the cast, Steve Buscemi's brother, Michael. I know. Because when he first pops up, I'm like, is that Steve Buscemi? I had the same thought. And then I was like, oh, no, no, it's not. And it wasn't until afterwards that, and okay, I just checked what his name was on IMDb and his name is Michael Buscemi. So, I am making the leap. No. That he's Steve's brother. Well, I went the next step and confirmed. It is Steve's brother. I didn't even know that Steve had a brother, yet alone that he was an actor. Yeah. I didn't think that Steve Buscemi was, like, born of a woman. I thought he- (laughs) Like an orc, kind of just- I thought he was just that guy who played in Fargo. I think his name is Steve. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had that song wrong for so many years. I, I thought it was like that guy who played in Fargo. I think his name is Pete. And I always thought that was that the joke was that they didn't that, that even they- know his name was Steve. Yep. 
I was I was so wrong. <laughs> I like your version. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, elsewhere, we've got Paul Walter Hauser, who we saw in I, Tonya. Yeah. He was fantastic in I, Tonya. He's fantastic in this. Is he is he ever going to get to play not this guy? Clearly, he's- I don't even know if you'd call him a character actor, but he was very good. He's brilliant. There's some things he does in this film where- He's like he's. There's a conversation happening next to him, and he's just there with this full mouth breather, yeah, expression on him. Yes. He's just he just does these little things that are so great. Yeah, uh, what's so great about the film in general, but especially what I liked about that character is the way that the casual hatred comes across in the film. Yeah, like when you think of the KKK, generally you think of extremely evil people. Yep. But this shows just how some of them are. Like, this guy is just a dumb guy who just casually hates, you know? Like, most of the things he says are just stupid. And then every now and then he comes out with something so hateful. It, it, it was so well done. And again, another great example of it, I think, the way the film does this really well is- I can't remember the character's name. She's married to Felix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she's like- if you, if you just met her- if you if you worked with her oh, or, yeah. or something, you'd be like, she she's a like really nice person. Us. But then there's this other thing. Yeah, she's a mad racist. Yes, <laughs> and like not just a little bit. She thinks killing people is okay. So one thing that like the tone of the film is really interesting because Spike Lee kind of can't help but make enjoyable films. His command of tone is amazing. The way this shifts from comedy to drama so elegantly. We have seen- we've mentioned it a few times already, actually. I, Tonya was probably the last movie I saw that did this really well, that blended really well between kind of black comedy and full-on drama. This takes it to the next level because the scenes that are dramatic are so tense and so drama-filled, and yet the very next scene you might be laughing hysterically, and you don't even think about it in between. It just- you flow there naturally. Yep. And then- it does these brilliant things where it, it will make, you know, kind of ironic jokes about them talking about the White House, for instance. Yes. With this nod to 2018. Yeah. And then, so, and you kind of laugh at it while also kind of cringing at it. And then a, a, later on in the film, a similar thing might happen where it's like, no, you don't get to laugh at this one. Yeah. And it just goes whack. With Definitely. What could be- if it was directed differently or delivered differently, whatever, it could be a similar kind of scene or a similar line. Yes. But it can just jump so well between you're watching a fun film and whack. Yeah, it can really command the emotions that you're supposed to be feeling at that moment. It does this really- So, Spike Lee in the cinema- I didn't. I haven't checked who the cinematographer was. Shame on me. They do this really fun thing in the shooting style sometimes with this mad throwback 70s- yeah. Style thing with- Definitely. You know, lens flares and harsh backlight things out and of the, focus. And the score really lends into that too. It really throws back to that 70s black exploitation. For sure. Yeah. Yep. And that's heightened even more with the throwing in of like old movie posters and yes. stuff when they're talking about Pam Greer films or Shaft. And it's brilliant. They're like, they're not just talking about it. They actually place you there. Yeah. They're still very much- using the camera as a storytelling device. Yeah. And there are those typical, you know, Spike Lee talking about his camera. He's known for things like 
Dutch angles, which we do get quite a few of in this film. Ton of them. Yeah. Things which, that- used badly. <laughs> Real bad. Yeah. But in this film really work. Things like the uh the dolly shot at the end, that's almost known as the Spike Lee Dolly. He you know, he does that very commonly and to great effect as it is in this film. The other thing, apart from the cinematography, I, I really want to call out the editing. Do you see any Oscar potential for this film, particularly in direction, acting, writing? I definitely think that it should be up for best editing. So far, like on what we've seen, it's got to be in the conversation. Oh, it has to be. We're, yeah, we're, we're yet to get into that part of the year where studios release the films that they think are going to be up for this. So it is early days. But yeah, I- I completely agree. Yeah. I think it's got to be up for many categories. But the editing in particular, there are several sequences that make really great use of intercutting between, you know, and there's that wonderful, one of my favorite scenes is that the scene that juxtaposes the the nationalization ceremony with the meeting of the African-Americans hearing the story of the, the old man witnessing this KKK attack. Yeah. And the way it cuts, it's like what we were saying about the way he shifts tone. You cut between those two scenes and stories and your mind just flows with it. You never sit there going, hold up, what is happening? Which can happen so often when people try intercut. It's pretty remarkable as well because it's those two scenes are so, are so are polar opposites. Yes. In so many ways. And yet the cutting of that sequence feels so natural. It's That's exactly It's genius. Right. Even, you know, there is so little dialogue in the KKK ceremony, but it's the, it's the vibe and the feeling you get from it, the way it's shot, the way it's directed, the way it's acted. You get that feeling of hatred and you just get this kind of sick feeling in your stomach. And then when you go to the, the meeting of African-Americans, even though the story they're telling is so horrific, you get this sense of love. Yep. It's- very, very well done. Um, the handling of all the clan meetings yeah. is, I think, brilliant because they resist the temptation to make these people caricatures. Yes. Like, they're real people. Definitely. And, you know, they don't make them cartoony mini Hitlers. No, well, it's like what you were saying about Felix's wife. She's the kind of woman that if you saw in the grocery store, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know that she was this- Horrible, horrible person. And this extends right up to, and maybe even especially, David Duke. Yeah. As yeah. played by Topher Grace in this. And I think Grace is really good. He plays him sincerely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about David Duke for a second, who was the Grand Wizard of the KKK and has several times run for things like governor of, of various states. Pretty hard to take anyone seriously who's taken on the mantle. <laughs> of Grand Wizard. Like- that's not okay to do once you've hit about 13 and you're not playing Dungeons <laughs> yeah. and Dragons anymore. Like, come on, clan. See, but that is- I'm not accusing you of being that smart to begin <laughs> with, but come on. That is the interesting thing about David Duke is that he was the first one who was that smart. And they allude to it in the movie that he refers to himself as something else. I can't remember what it is specifically. It's like the- It's nas- is it national- National director or something, something like, like that. Something like that. And he, he was smart enough to go, no, let's- Let's move away from this. Because he also, interesting, and this is one of the variations in the film from the book, is that David Duke famously never uttered the N-word. He, that was his stance was that, no, that's, you know, we, we don't want that to be our image. Um, whereas in the film, obviously, he does. 
One of my favorite moments in the book is when Ron, the undercover cop played by John David Washington, is talking about the day he had to bodyguard. Oh, so that's real? That's real. That That's one of the moments that's real. Um, and the photograph is real as well. But interestingly, he talks about how polite David Duke was to him the entire day. Uh, was just very professional, very courteous, even quite happily agreed to take the picture with him until he put his his arms up on him. Mm. And that just changed the entire mood of the day. Still, you know, it, it, I think it just really shows just what kind of a twisted mind you're looking at that he is capable of such hatred and yet is able to mask it so efficiently. Yeah. Duke and others in the film will say these quite pointed lines about, we yes, we should be running for public office and this kind of thing and yeah. alluding to people that are, of course, in public, in public office. office. And again, with the editing, it'll just, after these lines happen, it'll just let it hang for long enough yeah. that the audience gets to go, oh, before moving on to whatever is next. Yeah. We haven't talked about Kylo Ren yet. No, who was great in this movie. Adam, I have never seen Adam Driver not be great. Well, I was actually hesitant when- when I heard that he was cast in this movie, my initial thought was that he was going to be the Walter character. The, yeah, right. The, yeah, I could say that. Yeah, because and who in the book is actually a much more prominent character and um, the, the Flip character. Who it, It's very strange. Some of the names have been changed. I'm not sure why. But the Flip character is really not a big part of the story. So when I heard he was cast in that role, I was a bit hesitant. But he was fantastic and the way that the character was developed was wonderful as well. Mm. How did you feel about the the stakes and the and the tension in the film? The the build of tension as their investigation goes. It's by no means the most tense if you're going to call this part of it a thriller, the yeah, the police investigation. It's not at the level of some other The Departed, for example, or yeah, but that's fine because that's not remotely what it's trying to do. Yeah. There's like one scene in particular when Adam Driver's in the guy's basement. Where you're yeah. like, uh oh, yeah, dramas, um, and then of course the the C four at the end, yeah, um, and they're just they're handled so well. It's so, and again, all of that is completely fictionalized. So there was there was never a bombing. There was the only thing that the investigation actually stopped was a cross burning. And um, the other inclusion that I really liked is that the the white investigator in reality wasn't Jewish. But I'm really glad for that inclusion because, firstly, it added to the tension and it also just added to that that segment of the story about how, how racism permeates. There's a nice little scene. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a short scene where, where Flip's talking about how he never- For him, it was never consciously part yeah, of his didn't, identity. didn't really grow up. Until Jewish. it became something that other people projected. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice little scene. Yeah. It's funny. I was reading something similar, actually, about um, people's reactions to that new movie, Crazy Rich Asians, which supposedly is brilliant. Uh, And yeah, there was a Chinese girl writing about how she grew up, yeah, effectively hating being Chinese just because other people hated that she was Chinese. Yeah. People shouldn't be that way. That's true. Listen to your Uncle Billy. Yeah. (laughs) Be nice to each other, people. Getting back to- Washington, the junior, they do nice things with that character. Just his his little in, his internal struggle with his identity as a cop, and yes. he's the first black cop in this yeah. town. It's a big deal. Yeah, well, and, and that's true. He was actually the first black cop in Colorado, not just Colorado right. Springs. Yeah, and then 
the struggle between that identity and being a proud black man. It's not a massive part of the movie. It's actually a bigger part of the book. And and I think the way they adapted it was so great. Because obviously in a book you get much more internal monologue. So you can you get more of those things. So for example, the chapter where he's talking about going undercover at the Black Panther speech. Yep. The majority of that chapter is him talking about his struggle and seeing this this great man up there speak who he's heard speak many times and and believed with his philosophies and being there basically to monitor <laughs> and i think the way they handled that scene was so well done i think yeah they kind of spring that scene on you because you're like okay former black panther guy yeah you're and there's there's a part of your brain that's already kind of placed who this character might be yeah and then you sit there as an as an audience member being placed in this exactly. room going oh hey this guy's all right and it's a very long scene they let yeah. his entire speech of, run out yeah of just talking yeah it was really really effective did you I've I've forgotten the character's name, the president of the student body. Did you place her? I didn't. It wasn't until afterwards when I checked who she no, was. No, no, I didn't. That's- She's the girlfriend in Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. She seems so much older. I know. This. There was no way I was gonna get it by <laughs> no, myself. No. Wow, that's crazy. And she's great. She was great. And when she first popped up, again, I was hesitant because that entire storyline is fictionalized, as you'd probably imagine. So that entire romance is not a real thing. And so when that first came up, I was scared because oftentimes when they invent those kind of things, they can take over the film and not be that well done. But I really, really loved the addition of that character and what that brought to the story because that really was where you got that sense of his struggle between being a cop and being a proud black man was through that storyline. So I'm actually glad for the inclusion of that. I have I actually do have a bit of this film that didn't work for me. I wonder if it's the same thing for me. So towards the end, yep, after our heroes have won, there's this kind of hammy sitcommy where they're in a bar stretch of the bar and also back at the station where everyone's high-fiving and stuff and it's so over the top happy and everything yeah. that I was like I was prepared for it to stop and be like no, that was a dream. Here's what happened. The cops shot him. I, I was prepared for that as well. I thought the same thing. Um, and then when, when nothing came of that scene, which tonally was, for me, yeah. off compared to the rest of the film, I was just like, I, I don't know where well, that came from and I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Especially when the very next scene is the sergeant closing down the investigation. It's like, well, hang on. Everyone was just- Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What really didn't work for me wasn't just those scenes. It was- the overt racist cop character who the focus of that bar scene is him getting arrested, which I'm sorry would never happen. I, j- I didn't really care for that character. To me, that was the one piece that was not very subtle. It was overdone. Yeah, it is weird that the like the clan members are not cartoonish. Mm. That character is, yeah. And for me, I would have preferred- You know, because obviously I think what they were trying to do was show that racism happens everywhere, even inside the police in his own department. Having a racist cop in there makes Makes all the sense sense in the world. Makes total sense. But I would have loved, you know, there are some great small anecdotes in the book that don't happen here, which I think just would have shown that in a much better way. For example, when he was fitted for his uniform, the guy measuring him refused to take his afro into account. So he gave him a hat that was three sizes too small and sat on top of his on top of his fro. I feel like that was in a trailer, but possibly, not in the film. Possibly it was in an earlier scene that got cut. Yeah, 
and uh, and he basically said, well, you know, you got that, you got that hair, you got to shave it off if you want to fit in, and and he refused and just wore it on top of his head proudly while he would be out in the community, and eventually, his his boss was like, no, fit this man for a proper hat. One of the other great stories was he was chatting to another cop about hot women, and you know they're mostly throwing out you know movie stars at the time who are all white chicks, and uh, Ron Stallworth throws out a black woman's name, and the other cop instantly closes up and says, I don't understand. I can't. I can't understand how you can find black women attractive, and just outright says it like that, talking to a black man. Yeah, you know, just some more subtle stories like that. I think would have just because. Racism is one of those things that you don't need to be an overt racist dighead like that cop to be a racist. It can come through without you even realizing it. And I think some of those smaller stories might have shown that better. I like that we never get, well, I never totally made my mind up on the chief. He's kind of, he's a really gray character. Yeah. There are times where you're like, oh, no, you're a bad egg. Yeah. But there are times where the chief- Pulls through. Yeah. Well, then he's, and then, and it's not even just like one and then the other and that's it. Yeah. It's back and forth. There's this guy who probably is not thrilled to have this guy in his mm-hmm. police force. Yep. But then occasionally does the right thing. Yeah. But probably also is, is still reporting to somebody else. Everyone has a boss. <laughs> and I think that was alluded to really well at the end when he closes down the investigation. And you, the way it's shot and edited is really clever because you sit there wondering- why is he closing this investigation? Is someone telling him to? You just sit there and wonder a little. After we get our the sitcommy sequence, which I didn't love, from there until the end of the film, which we're talking, I don't know, three minutes or something, yeah. my score for this film goes up an entire point. Where's, where's oh. After Spike Lee goes, all right, you've had your fun. Most powerful and ending. And just wallops you. Yes. It definitely. is stunning. Yeah. The cut the cut to reality and events from a year ago in Virginia. Yeah. Showing you that, hey, this is a true story from now. Yeah, not 40 only was it a ago. true story 40 years ago, it's alive and well. Yeah. And it is wholly freaking powerful. Yeah, definitely. Well, the book goes a lot more into the like I was saying, it's dull in the way that the story isn't really, but it goes into a lot of the history of the clan, which I found so interesting because especially being Australian, I knew virtually nothing about the Ku Klux Klan. And I still, you know, even watching the film the other night, I spent the entire night just reading up about Charlottesville because I knew so little about it. And it is mind boggling to think- I. I just I can't even understand the mentality that leads to those kind of events. Yeah, I don't know if it's being in a different country or just being in a different upbringing or community or what. Yeah, because I mean we can't sit here and say, oh, that would never happen in Australia. That would uh, be. I mean, we've seen that, that would be <laughs> wholly ignorant. Yes, but it's just so far removed from my experience that when when the real footage comes up, yeah, it is staggering. Shocking. It is shocking. You know, and then when they show- when The car. The, the car crash. Jesus. Which was an intentional ram into counter-protesters and then reversing back over them. 19 people injured and one dead. It's just insane. Yeah, and I'm really- You know, it's funny. 
one thing I do often after I watch a movie and we're going to talk about it, I'll scroll through like the Reddit discussion threads just to kind of see other people's points of view. It's amazing the amount of people who did not like that ending. And you sit there and you read that and you go, you must be a little bit racist. I've seen that kind of thing happen in movies and and haven't been totally on board. I'm like, okay, no, you took me out of the story mm. or or whatever. But it this could- is such a nice bookend to the story. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Given that it has not worked for me in the past, I suppose, like, yeah, I can understand it not working for someone, even though in this instance, for me, it absolutely does. Yeah. It was such an amazing cut, that ending. You know, you've got that dolly shot of them looking and seeing that burning cross in the distance, almost as this is what happens the second you stop trying to stop them. The the second you stop trying- this is what happens. And then you cut to what happened only a year ago and you think, holy shit, that was a year ago. And they were back out for the anniversary. Yeah, although- did you- Like 20 of yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> only 20 and over a 1,000 counter-protesters. So, good on people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So, both of us- Sounds like for both of us, it's one of our favourite films we've seen in a while. Yeah. Definitely. I really flitted around with my rating here. What are you going with? I'm an 8 out of 10. I think it's excellent. Right. I'm an, I'm a 9. I was very nearly a 10, but there were just those few little things, like I said, particularly the cartoony cop and things like that, that dropped it down a little for me, but certainly one of the most powerful films I've seen in years. For sure. And it's not even really aimed at being Australian, our society. I mean, I guess it's globally a message about racism, but it's very much targeted to- the US yeah, it's a particular and story there at the moment, yeah. But I just loved it. I thought it was brilliant. All right, so tick of approval from We Watched a Thing. Definitely. If you haven't seen it, go see it. If you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this? We spoil the shit out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert at the end. <laughs> As is our fashion. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of August, just about. Uh, what are we getting to next? We have a Patreon request next, don't we? We do. That's right. A special Monday episode for you. We'll be getting to Notting Hill. Which I I haven't seen. <laughs> no. So that's going to be fun. And also, Beth will be joining us as requested. My sister. <laughs> yeah. But then everyone just comes out and says how much more they like her than us. <laughs> I hate it when Beth did. <laughs> uh, and then after that. We've been plugging it for a little while now. You'll be getting our 50th episode spectacular taking over the entire month of September. A four-part spectacular. Yep. Furious Temper. All eight Fast and Furious films, one sitting. It's intense. It's- Yeah. (laughs) It was something. All right, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or at wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support us and get access to extra episodes, early episodes, you can already hear our entire Furious Timber segment probably by now. Um, then check us out at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing and go watch a movie. Definitely see Black Landsman. Bye, everyone. Have fun, everyone. Let's have fun, everyone. What's that? (laughs) Bye, everyone. Nah, you're leaving. Have fun, everyone.